Hi, this is Michael Sheridan. I'm Director of Sourcing and Sustainability at Intelligentsia, and you're listening to A Buyer's Notebook, the stories of our copies and the words of the buyers themselves. We're here today to talk about our annual Nicaragua releases, our Los Delirios Organic Nicaragua Coffees. Um, I had the pleasure and privilege of being the buyer for those coffees this year, uh, so I'll share some of my own perspectives on those coffees today. Uh, but I want to hear first from our guest, Vice President of Coffee, Jeff Watts, who built our sourcing relationships in Nicaragua, one really important one in particular. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Hello. Um, can you take us back to the beginning? Uh, our Los Delirios coffee is in its 14th consecutive year. It's got quite a history, um, and it's always come from one family, one extraordinary family, the Canales family. Uh, can you tell us how it got started? What was the origin of the relationship? Yeah, so you know, I first ran into these guys back in, it was either 2002 or 2003, on a visit to Proto-Coop, which is the cooperative, uh, well-known cooperative in uh, Segovia, Esteli, that was one of the first fair trade co-ops. It was the epicenter for a lot of positive developments in coffee and in Nicaragua. But I was just there starting to learn about coffee and explore and, and was being hosted by the, the Proto-Coop team and, and met uh, one of the canales. And, that was just a, you know, it was a chance encounter. Um, we cupped some of their coffees. Uh, they were already at the time, I think, a little bit known within the group as, as producers who were doing good work. And then uh, a year later, I was at the Cup of Excellence in 2004 as a judge, and it turned out that this incredible coffee that we'd been, everybody had been gushing about, during the week, um, you know, you don't know as a judge until the very end what it is. So you spend a week with this with this set of coffees, getting excited about them purely from a sensory perspective, and and then there's anticipation that builds towards the end of the week. Uh, and as you're waiting for the awards ceremony, say who's responsible for this masterpiece? And it turned out uh, it was was the Canales crew. It was uh, El Patron himself um, who had produced this coffee and put it in the competition under the name Los Delirios. And when I saw that, uh, you know, I, I felt like this was a moment the universe had, uh, had, had smiled and, and really like a beam of light came down and said, hey, this is, this is where you're meant to be right now. And we... Um, we started a relationship based on a purchase in, in that COE. Uh, we split the coffee with, at the time it was Dwayne, uh, who was founder of Stumptown. Uh, we both bought some of the coffee and from that moment on started working together with, with the Canales crew. And I didn't realize at the time that it really was uh, this extended family uh, the father of the family, the El Patron, Daniel Canales, he had been a, a cattle farmer for a long time and had decided at some point to get into coffee, had started planting coffee and converting uh, land that he had into coffee. They started out um, with a, a small planting and a couple different parcels that went by names like Ojo de Agua. And 
as it grew, he began to divide up the farm and put a different son in charge of different sections. And now uh, each one of the Canales brothers has a, uh, a farm of their own that they're managing that are all part of this collective. Uh, they s established a group called El Eden, um, which I think is a fitting name. You've been to these farms. Um, El Eden suggests some kind of uh, things to me. It suggests like a, a beautiful garden and lush uh, environment and and that's what you find there you you know it's sometimes I've had this experience where you drink a coffee in in a setting like a cup of excellence or somewhere else and then you go to the farm and you scratch your head and say man it, you know just doesn't look like anything special how did such amazing coffee come from this very ordinary place uh, or sometimes it's even disappointment you go and um, I remember once going to a, a farm and seeing uh, a guy like uh, drunk laying on the edge of the patio smoking a cigarette that was ashing into the the washing channel and a, a dog like a poor dog tied up with a chain with like about uh, one foot of space on a pole and thinking oh my god like get me out of here I don't care how good the coffee tastes <laughs> I can't be here. Um, you know, but it, in this case, I went to go visit the farm after the Cup of Excellence competition, and uh, and you feel like you're walking into a, uh, a jungle when you get up in there, Spanish moss dripping down from the trees and sunlight trickling through and life everywhere you look. It's, uh, it's a lush environment. Um, and these guys are growing coffee organically, they have the distinction of being the first organic coffee farmers or, or um, certified organic coffee farmers to win a cup of excellence. And this was meaningful, especially at that time, because there was a lot of talk about how organic coffee can't be as good as uh, conventional coffees because, you know, the, there's not enough nutrients you need uh, to use a lot of fertilizer in order to generate all these uh, hyper-dense and great-tasting coffees. And so this was uh, a rebuttal to that line of thinking, and it was a proof positive that organic farms can produce coffee uh, that is uh, as good or better than anything else around. So it, it was, in a lot of ways, not just a victory for the Canales brothers, but a victory for, for organic farmers throughout Latin America. Uh, and a big victory for the co-op too, who you know, who does a lot of their business in the organic realm. So I, I was going to ask you, like, and I, I remember the first moment I stepped onto that farm. What what kinds of things it made me feel? But what what kind of thoughts did you have, and what went through your mind when you got there? Because you'd had the coffee before, but you'd never been there. Yeah, a lot of things went through my mind. Uh, some of them had to do with uh, with the family. Some of them had to do with the farm itself. Um, some of them had to do just with the place. Um, maybe uh, starting with your question, which is about the farm, um, it was amazing. Uh, I, my, it was stunning, actually. It was so uh, we got uh, the first morning that we went out to the farm, we went to Las Termopilas, which is run by Milton, one of the three grandsons of Don Pio and son of Don Daniel. 
Um, and it was just after a rain. And so there's that feeling you get on a farm. It's just after a rain. It's so fresh and cool. Um, and we were walking on a path through a, through a very thick shade canopy and looking at the coffee. And that was beautiful. And it was all these traditional uh, bourbons and tipicas. And we came to a clearing into a cow pasture. And it became clear to me through our conversation what we were looking at. And it was just this amazing moment because we were standing in a pasture facing this beautiful agroforestry system based on coffee. And it, it became clear to me through the conversation that it used to look like the cow pasture I was standing on. And that for 30 years, the family has doubled down again and again on coffee. And the, the successes that they've had in the marketplace, they've reinvested in coffee to expand their coffee holdings. And so all these different strands of thinking came together. The first one, which was just very in your face, was the environmental one, that uh, in a period of climate change, um, in an area of the world that is one of the most one of the most biodiverse and most uh, clearly negatively affected by climate change and most deforested, here's a family that has been steadily putting forest back and turning its co its cow pastures into coffee fields to the benefit of all of us. Uh, that was amazing, and I'll publish a blog post in connection with this podcast uh, that shows what is in my mind a before and after picture. So I'm standing in the same place with a photo facing one direction and it's just a field. And then I turn around and I face the fence posts um, and you see the coffee. And it's uh, this amazing before and after picture and you just think, wow, if this could be multiplied across Central America, um, that would be really something. Uh, that was striking. And then the just the story of, I just pictured these this family that these pistons of, of uh, reforestation and reinvestment it goes well in the coffee market. We sell some coffee. We buy more fields. We reforest them. We grow more coffee. We sell more coffee. We reinvest it. We reforest. Um, and it was just this beautiful kind of cycle um, that you could see going on um, over a period of you know decades. Um, and it marked a contrast in my mind to a lot of what we see in coffee, especially in, in Mesoamerica, which is a lot of contraction of the sector. Uh, we know there are a lot of growers who uh, produce beautiful coffees um, who don't live off of coffee, who have other, coffee is a hobby and it's a passion and they're craft growers who produce beautiful tasting coffees, but don't necessarily live off of their, what they earn in coffee. We have a lot of folks who do live off of coffee and are not making ends meet and they're getting out of coffee, particularly smallholders. Uh, but the size of, uh, of Los Dilidios is almost three times the size of the original farm that was purchased in 1958. And so um, at a time when people are not making a living out of coffee in a way we'd like to see, not thriving in a way we'd like to see, they've made it work and they've continued to reinvest and make uh, their livelihood in coffee and, and do well for themselves and do well for the environment, do well for their community and do well for us and, and the guests in our coffee bars. So uh, those are all things that hit me pretty quickly in that field. Um, one other thing I thought about uh, when I was there was really about Nicaragua. And uh, Nicaragua has a special place for me. Um, I was a volunteer there not far from the Canales Farm actually uh, in the mid-90s when I was in my early 20s. And uh, when I got my first introduction to coffee origins, uh, but w one of the things that I loved about Nicaragua, I just fell in love with the country and the culture and the people. 
Um, and I still have a very warm place in my heart for Nicaragua. Um, and Nicaraguans can tend to be somewhat informal. Um, and one of the most charming manifestations of that for me is the way they refer to places. Um, in Managua, it's most, the capital, it's most pronounced. They have no cardinal, they have no street names. There are no cardinal directions. Nobody talks about north, south, east, or west. They use, everything is in reference to place. So uh, north is a la montaña, because there's a slight elevation going north out of the city. Oh, no. North is a lago, because Lake Managua sits at the northernmost ex extreme of the city. Uh, south is a la montaña, because there's a slight elevation leaving the city to the south. And east and west are arriba and abajo, up and down, where the sun comes up and where the sun goes down. Uh, and they don't um, use meters, which most countries in Central America do. They use barras which was translated for me long ago as the length of the arm of a Spanish nobleman. Apparently, it's roughly 33 inches. Um, <laughs> and so when they tell you how to get to places, they'll, they'll say, hey, um, from the big Guanacaste, 30 varas abajo, 30 lengths of an arm of a Spanish nobleman to the west. Um, and sometimes they use reference points that aren't there anymore, like where the big tree used to be, 100 varas toward the mountain. Um, and which was all very charming and took a little while to get used to, but I heard echoes of that in the description of some of the place names on the farm. Um, there's one of the parts of Los Delirios, which as you described it, I think is a good way to think about it. It's not really a farm as much as it is a collection of farms that are contiguous and have been cobbled together over the years through this pattern of reinvestment, and each part of the farm has a, has a name. And one of them is called La Maquina, which is um, got its name from workers um, after the, the family built the, the wet mill, um, this big multi-story edifice where you carry the cherry up to the top and it drops down into the depulper and then it gets pushed, pushed into the tanks and the washing channels. Um, it's a big machine. And the workers used to say, We're, I'm going donde la máquina. I'm going over where the machine is. And so that part of the farm is called the machine. So um, that was also something really nice that came back to me when I was on the farm. Yeah, it's um, I mean, it really is a, a a unique country and culture within Central America. Sometimes you look at the map, and and people that haven't traveled a lot will see Central America and think, um, you know, it's an extension of Mexico, or think, you know, that the whatever Latin culture they've encountered think that it's uh, it's relatively similar across the the peninsula, but it's uh, it's absolutely not, and. In particular, I think there's something about Nicaraguan people that is uh, especially warm and inviting, and a spirit of of um, resilience and generosity and humility. Uh, but uh, that was the reason that we came up with that floor as well. But one of the, one of the other things I wanted to ask you um, is about your sense of the Canales's desire to improve their coffees because they've been one of the one of the groups of farmers or that has been to nearly every single ECW over the years and sometimes they all come uh, Donnell and Norman and Milton will travel in a group and uh, and one of the things that always impressed me when I'd go to see them the next year is that they were uh, without without really any arm twisting absorbing ideas and and putting them into play and 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 that they were always 
extremely curious and ready to to do something, whatever it is. And it, it, maybe that's something that's uh, that's very Nika as well as this this um, feeling that there there is no barrier uh, to what I can do. I have to be self sufficient because that's just the way it is, and I'll figure it out. Uh, I'm not going to be daunted by what seems like a, uh, it may seem like an obstacle for other people. Um, but they were always willing to take an idea and just run with it, and they'd show up there and be surprised at, at what had uh, been built. Uh, and they hadn't even told me about it. They they would just uh, I'd walk in there and say, whoa, you guys have these brand-new washing channels, and they're all tile-lined. Where did that come from? Oh, yeah, you know, you mentioned it last year, and we saw a picture, and so we did it. <laughs> I, I definitely saw that, and I think, again, to the point of the singular focus on coffee. I mean, they're so about coffee in all of its aspects, so um, they've got a, a roaster in their house. Uh, they invested in a roaster. Um, two of the brothers, Donald and and. Norman have also roasters outside. One is a brick oven roaster, and the other one is made out of steel. Norman was so proud of it. He was showing it to me. He actually hasn't fired it up yet, but it's made. he welded it together himself, made it out of steel. It's quite a contraption, and um, it's meant to be attached to a bicycle, uh, so you can pedal and turn the drum. It's a drum roaster, uh, and, you know, that's not even something that's core part of their business. It's just they're tinkering. Um, and all of that stuff is right next to the drying patios, which are covered with a warren of raised beds, which is something that came from the ECW conversations and is something I know we've been working on with them over the past few seasons um, to slow the drying process, to increase the, uh, the ventilation, and to get the coffee off the ground. Um, and they've been steadily reinvesting in that and, and tweaking the design. And so... Um, that was very visible, that spirit of um, continuous improvement, innovation, um, that entrepreneurial Nicaraguan spirit about you know, rolling up your sleeves and getting in there. Um, and the, there's been an incredible expansion of the capacity for raised bed drying, but there's also a new design which is going to be um, multi-tiered, uh, covered, shaded, raised drying beds, um, which are very popular now. But um, when you think about um, in a period of a space of two to three seasons going from traditional patio drying, stepping on the coffee, pushing it with wooden handmade tools to this, it's, it's pretty remarkable and it speaks I think to that sense of pivoting and incorporating new information and moving it to action pretty quickly. Right on. And the coffee just got here. Uh, we did our first arrival cuppings earlier in the week and then some tastings the other day. Um, what were your feelings about the, the taste of the coffee? Well, there are two coffees that we're, we'll be releasing. Um, our, tr- our main Los, Delir- Los Delirios Organic Nicaragua, uh, which this year comes from Los Cascabeles. It's a part of the farm managed by Donald, the youngest of the three brothers. Um, and I thought it was lovely. Um, it had that uh, a lot of aspects of that traditional Nicaraguan profile, which is a little softer than some of its neighbors. Um, we uh, talked about uh, red apple, vanilla, toffee, uh, kind of a nice round sweetness. 
Uh, and this year we're offering, I think you can tell me, um, since you've been around for a while, it, for the first time ever, uh, a Pacamara varietal lot. Um, one of the other aspects of the innovations that the Canales have talked about with some excitement is varietal diversification um, and lot separation by variety, which I think has not necessarily been traditionally uh, part of the playbook. Um, and so this Pacamara has an incredible sweetness. Um, we felt like uh, like some berries, um, sweet herbs. Remember that one? I remember. Uh-huh. But what was the lead? Oh, fig. Dried fig. fig. Yeah. Uh-huh. The Pacamara uh, is definitely a distinctive coffee. It stands out on the table. Uh, it's very sweet. Um, dried fig, strawberry, uh, but it's also got this kind of wild uh, herbal character, like a sweet herb, um, and so. That one is a small lot, one of their early uh, attempts at uh, varietal diversification. We like it a lot. It won't be around long. Um, so it's an exciting, I think, sign of the direction that the family is going and part of this commitment to quality um, that's just really evident in everything they do. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yeah, thank you very, very much for having me here. And, uh, you know, one thing that I, I'm going to make sure that I remember is that if I ever need to hire a postman in <laughs> Nicaragua, I, I find one who's uh, old and has been around a while, because otherwise the uh, letter might never get where it needs to go. Awesome. Thanks, Andy, for editing this episode. This is the Intelligentsia Buyer's Notebook. <laughs>